Welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. We're live at the Kansas State Fair. Happy to have you with us today. And I've got a nice crew here with me that we're going to have a chance to visit. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brad. So we're right here in one of the cattle barns, and we've got a great opportunity to visit with you and visit with some of the folks at the Kansas State Fair relative to some of the topics of beef production. So we're happy that we've had some good questions come in today, and some of those questions I'm going to get you guys to answer because I didn't know the answers to all of them. And I'm going to start out with all of us have been here and participating in the birthing center. But there's other activities at the fair, and I want to know what's your favorite fair memory, whether it's this fair or when you were a kid. Bob? Well, I, I did grow up coming to the Kansas State Fair, and uh, we showed cattle, and that's probably my best memory. You know, it's a good family activities. My sisters and I, you know, uh, I, I just have a lot of good memories from bringing cattle here to the fair. Bringing cattle to the fair. Philip, what about you? So I grew up in Illinois, and we didn't spend a whole lot of time at the state fair, but we had our local county fair and 4-H fair, and spent time there doing 4-H projects, showing some lambs and, and stuff like that. So that'd be probably my biggest memories of the fair. Brian? Well, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's my most vivid. So I, I'm actually a local kid, so I came to the Reno County Fair here to show my animals. And I remember I was a little guy, probably all of 85 pounds soaking wet when my dairy heifer started cycling in the judging ring and so i it was the most vivid fair ride i have ever been on <laughs> so that's mine as we sit here looking out at the gondola and the spinny rides and there's all the nope. stuff you didn't even have to pay for that one no it was free <laughs> yeah excellent i did get a purple though not not a one of you mentioned fair food not, uh, not fair my, food. No, that's still that's also a highlight Okay. And then we're going to hit that as soon as we're done here. What's yeah. the most, what, what food are you going to try as soon as you leave here? I think uh, I know you're. Oh, yeah. It's the frozen chocolate covered banana on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, Brian, what are you guys going to try when you leave? Um, I was here earlier in the week, and one of the students brought back a s'mores funnel cake. So that's on my Ooh. list for today. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds pretty good. <laughs> as well I, as hopefully this, some insulin. Uh, <laughs> this is my only my second time to the Kansas State Fair, so I don't know the food choices that well. But I'm sure I'll, I'll find something. Something fried. Unique, something unique yeah. to try. Yeah, something's fried that's never been fried before. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the questions, guys. So uh, we are here working at the birthing center, and one of the questions was, how does the typical process for a cow having a calf, how long does that take? And Bob, I'm going to turn to you first. Well, it kind of depends on when you want to start counting. We, what we ask producers to do is to watch those cattle close enough that you can kind of see when she's starting to become uncomfortable. So that's just kind of a, a, a bellyache type of a thing. And so a lot of times they'll separate themselves from the other cows. Uh, she'll begin to kind of have some of those nesting type behaviors. And that could be an hour or two, maybe even longer than that, ahead of when she's going to start calving. But then the actual birth process is really when, you know, she's uh, laying down or spending a, a lot of her time laying down and starting to really, you know, have those strong contractions that, that you can see her having. And, you know, it varies a lot. You can have a cow that lays down and really starts strong contractions and you would have a calf on the ground in 20 or 30 minutes. Or it might be an hour, hour and a half, you know. And so as the veterinarian or as a beef producer, what I'm really looking for is progress. So pretty soon she gets to start pushing. You'll start to see those front feet appear. And I just want to see progress. And as long as there's progress, I'm pretty happy. 
if I go as long as 15 minutes without really that calf or cow changing how far along she is, that's when I, as a veterinarian or as a well-trained producer, go in and, and kind of see if everything's going all right and might need some help. Okay, so... 30 minutes to an hour is what you said once she really gets started. So, Brian, I, I want to ask you kind of a follow-up question. Heifers or ones that have never had a calf before, would you expect the same length of time as a cow or are there some differences there? Uh, there, there are some differences. They're small. So um, heifers can be, the process can be a little slower, but we want to intervene quicker with a heifer, right? Because we haven't been through that birth, birthing process. And so um, what Bob mentioned about seeing progress and we, every 15 minutes, but we always tell people if something is abnormal. So if you see a front leg and a nose, but only one front leg, we're not going to wait our 15 minutes. We're going to get right. right in there. And so with heifers, um, we want to see that progress happen quickly because we don't know if that birth canal is big enough. So we're probably going to be a little more aggressive with intervening with any sort of issues. So how should they, you said if one front leg's about, how should they come out? So um, I always tell people a calf should look like it's diving into a swimming pool on the way out. So two front legs and a nose. Um, you'll see front feet first, obviously, and then you should see the nose shortly thereafter. I was That's just seeing if I could get you to do it. Nope. Because we're on video. No, my hand. Are quiet today. Oh, over here. I was going to say that's not how I usually dive into. <laughs> so I, I think that's you're, you're absolutely right. So look, I like what you said. Heifers take longer, but we may want to intervene quicker because those heifers don't know exactly what's going on. And usually it's that first stage of labor before the calf starts coming out. But after that, you're back to your, and you gave us a 15 minute rule. So maybe expound on that a little bit. What, what should I see every 15 minutes? Well, basically what I'm calling progress. And it's okay for that cow to take a rest. I mean, that that's fine. And that's why it's not that she has to be making constant progress. So, uh, like Brian said, the first thing you should see is the two front feet, and then pretty soon a nose, and then maybe more of the front legs, and then more of the front legs, and then the ears and the shoulders. And, and so, that's what I'm talking about progress. It's just, when I go back and look at her a few minutes later, is that calf a little bit farther out? And, and that's really the, what I'm looking for. Now, Brian also mentioned if there's only one leg, well, that could mean that one leg's kind of back, and we might need to fix that. It's possible for a calf to come backwards or to have other malpresentations. And when that happens, a lot of times we do have a, a veterinarian come in and, and reposition that calf so it can be born more easily. Absolutely. So I think great tips there on having a calf after that calf is born. Let's talk a little bit about, and Philip, I got a question from you, because most times on beef cows, the mom is going to provide the milk for that calf. However, in dairy situations or on the occasional beef situation, we have to feed that calf a bottle. So the question was, how often should I feed a bottle calf and how much should I feed him, which is right in your area? So um, let's talk about how often first. Usually it's twice a day. So we're going to feed that calf in the morning and then later on in the evening uh, twice a day. And then the amount's going to change. So we're going to start off with two quarts um, at each feeding um, and probably do that for a week or, or so. And then we're going to add a quart in the morning. And so we're going to do three quarts in the morning and then two quarts 
in the evening. And then in the third week, we're going to go up to three quarts at both feedings. And we're going to hold that there for another three or four weeks. And then we're going to step it back down. So we're going to step it down to two quarts in the evening and three in the morning and then down to two just kind of reverse that process and so then at about two months of age we're pulling that that bottle away and maybe they're only getting one bottle a day for a week or so there when they're eight weeks old and then we're pulling away completely so how do i know when it's time to increase the amount that i feed them or decrease the amount that i feed them is it all based on time or is there signs from the calf i should be watching well so a lot of it's probably based on time at least try it i mean if they don't finish a three-quart bottle in and walk away from it then obviously they're not ready for a three-quart bottle um, but then we're going to try it again in a few days and, and see where they're at. Um, and then as far as stepping it down, they'll, they'll keep drinking milk as long as you give it to them. So we're going to make that decision on our own to start stepping it down. And part of the reason for doing that is I want to encourage more dry feed intake. And so if I step it down a little bit, I'm going to encourage them to ramp up their, their starter feed intake so then they're prepared to keep growing and, and doing well when I take that bottle away completely. Um, but I don't want to do that too early. If I do that too early, the calf can't ramp up its intake. And so that, that six-week mark is about the time that I can do that. Um, I don't want to do it much earlier than that. Okay, so you talked about... You're going to manage the milk consumption based on that calf, kind of how he's doing, and I'm going to have some flexibility on my times. But then you also talk about his feed consumption. So, Bob and Brian, I'm going to ask you guys, when should I start, if I have a bottle calf at home, when should I start offering him hay? And then Philip also mentioned dry feed. Are they able to digest that hay day one? When should I start providing that? Bob, I'll go to you first. Well, they really can't digest it the first day or so, but pretty early in life, we start providing them some long hay. And it's not so much that they get a lot of nutrients from that, but we want them to start kind of getting that habit and kind of, you know, it's a mouth feel. They need to learn to take in that hay and eat it. And you're starting to get what we call scratch, you know, a little bit of scratch in that. And so, and it's, it's like uh, Philip said, you know, they're going from an all milk diet to a no milk diet over a couple of months. And so it's all about that gradual transition. So once once they're kind of past those first two or three weeks of life, we want to start providing them some of that dry feed and some access to hay. Uh, the, the dry feed is usually in a pellet or a meal, and it's pretty palatable. You want to make it kind of something that they want to eat, and then offering them some pretty good hay. And again, probably hay is what they're going to eat the least to start with, but they'll gradually increase their, their hay consumption. And that's, that's really what you're trying to kind of work with that calf and gradually transition them. Excellent. So, Brian, we talked about the nutrition. We have not talked about the health of these calves. Give me the top one or two things that I should be looking for that would give me a signal, hey, this calf's not doing well or there's a specific disease he's dealing with. Yeah, so in, in young calves, there's really two disease syndromes we focus on. And one is respiratory disease and that pneumonia, whatever you want, shipping fever if you're a beef producer. Um, so we worry about those back, viral and bacterial pneumonias. 
and then uh, we call scours or diarrhea, um, and that can have viral causes. It can have bacterial causes. Um, there, there are a couple parasites that early, early meaning within the few, first few months of life, but we can get some of those. So those are the syndromes we worry about. Um, the challenge is other than having diarrhea, that's a pretty clear one, right? But um, the early stages of both of those <clears throat> can look pretty similar. And it's usually, um, it's a calf that's maybe not eating. And when we say not eating, right, we're, we've been eating this amount and now all of a sudden we've cut our consumption, right? Um, so we worry anytime there's a, we have a calf that goes off feed, we worry about that as a generalized side of illness and it could be either, right? Um, we worry about just really kind of general depressed attitude, right? And so maybe if it's a, if it's in a, if it's calf that's a dairy calf that's in a hutch or a beef calf that's in a small pen, maybe they don't come up when you bring them to feed, and not just because they're off feed, but they just don't want to get up. They're just kind of laying around. And then we would, if if we see those signs, then we would kind of progress it to maybe we want to take a body temperature or, um, you know, we have. We have some producers that they have a stethoscope and they're able to listen to lung sounds and there's some other tools out there that people could use. So just depending on how complicated you want to make the next step before you maybe call your veterinarian or maybe you're using something before you follow a, a, a treatment according to a protocol, right? And we have to have this and this to move to the next step. Absolutely. And what I heard you say was I have to know what's normal behavior for that calf. Understand the normal so that I can identify the abnormal. And then through that process, if it's abnormal, take a further diagnostic step to figure out what's wrong. That may be body temperature, it may be stethoscope, it may be calling your veterinarian, depending on the degree of illness. Because like you said, there's two diseases we're worried about, diarrhea and pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And diarrhea, there's an obvious sign that we might see. But early in the process, you may not be able to identify it. Right. Yep. Okay, excellent. So good tips. And and so kind of in summary to wrap up on the bottle calves, how how long cuz you said a couple months you said maybe 80 days somewhere in there. How long are we going to keep them on the bottle ballpark? Well, I, I think that can fluctuate and vary some. I would not recommend taking the bottle away completely before two months of age, but I think they actually do a little better if you keep them on there until about 75 days of age or so. But milk replacers are also expensive, so you got to make that, that judgment call there. And, and one thing, too, so we're talking about beef a lot, too, right? So it's a little bit different for dairy calves because we are trying to, like Philip said, milk replacers are expensive and there we're we're trying to get those calves on feed as fast as possible and traditional milk weaning them off of milk in a dairy calf probably eight to ten weeks but there are some people that are using six week weaning periods and, and having some success with it too so the situation can be a little bit different for dairy calves it's a, it's a lot about how you're managing the entire system right it's not just that period we're on the bottle but what feed are we starting them on are they eating feed and if i'm managing one or two calves it's going to be different than managing a whole bunch of them. Yeah. So excellent, excellent answer. Did you have another? Were you going to disagree with those? No, I was going to kind of agree. But basically, you're watching how much they eat, and as long as they're eating enough of the dry feed, then you're pretty safe for removing the milk. You're going to kind of agree, kind of disagree. Yeah, that's what I disagree. I know that's what I typically do. said 75. You were going to say 78. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'll go 80. It's one more than you guys. So. Uh, 
the other question that came in, I'm switching topics here because we had several questions that came in. One was, I hear a lot about sustainability in beef. What does that mean? So I want to ask all three of you, what does sustainability mean in reference to raising beef? Philip, I'm going to start with you. So sustainability can mean lots of different things, um, and it's it's subjective to what your focus is or what you think is most important. So, you know, for some people, sustainability may be that it's good animal welfare and good animal health. Um, for other people, sustainability is efficient resource use um, and, and things like that. So. It can, it can vary a lot, and all those different components really play into it. Um, but one of the things that we, we typically think of is efficient resource use, or, or, or flipping it the other way, inefficient resource use, and, and how much of those that resources are being wasted or um, you know, uh, lost to the environment and those types of things. And so I think from a beef production perspective, the more efficient we can be as far as inputs relative to outputs, then that is going to improve our sustainability because then we're not using as much resources to produce the same amount of beef and we're not losing as many nutrients and things like that into the environment for that water pollution and those kinds of issues. And so um, it also then correlates very highly with profitability because a lot of those resources cost me money and those are my input costs and so if I can be more efficient that way I'm also more profitable. So efficient resource use. Bob what's sustainability? Yeah, I think that's a really good start. You know some of the things that I would add is well a sustainable cow calf or ranching operation would be one that could last generations and so that is it has to generate enough income for the family. I, I want the soil and the grasslands to be healthy over time. I want the water water sources to be healthy and available and so it, it it ties together a lot of things that we talk about good animal husbandry good uh husbandry of the land and you know paying attention to the family to make sure that the family is thriving as far as generating the income they need that uh, it's a safe working environment so there's there's a lot of things that tie together but kind of just picture a really good well-run ranch that gets to pass from one generation to the next to the next that would be a sustainable operation because they're probably doing a lot of things really well. This was your opportunity for bringing in repro. You, you're going to say anything repro-wise? Well, let's about just, efficiency. I'm setting you up, man. Uh, well, you're right. That was kind of a softball. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the key, there's two, there's two keys to efficiency. It's like what uh, Philip said is you have to watch how much your costs are. So your income, your, your, your costs of your inputs. The other side, because we're a we're a cow herd, so we're making we're making more cows. It's about the efficiency of reproduction. So, good bull fertility, good cow fertility. Those are all on the income side. Of the more efficient I am there, the more income I have to offset the costs of raising those cattle. Excellent, you're exactly right. So, Brian, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, and I'm gonna tie in a little bit to the next question, so that I, okay. on sustainability, but also. Where do things like antimicrobial use play a role? Because that's one of our other questions that, that I think ties into this one. Yeah, it does. And um, thank you for giving me another question because you asked Bob about it and then you asked him a follow-up and there's just nothing left, right? So 
<laughs> but, but it does tie in because when we talk about antibiotics, we use the term stewardship, which is really under that umbrella of sustainability, right? And it it's the same concept that Philip mentioned with environmental environmental sustainability bob used you know kind of the financial sustainability and for stewardship it's making sure that those resources are available for the next generation and so for antibiotics we we want to make sure that they're available and that availability really comes down to are they going to be effective right has has antimicrobial resistance degraded their efficacy to the point where we no longer have that tool um, in our toolbox. So stewardship is our word for sustainability on the antibiotic side. So define stewardship for me. Like if I was, if I wanted to be a good steward of the antibiotics, give me a definition. So I talk about stewardship a lot. So the Webster definition of stewardship is the careful management of something entrusted to someone's care. And there's, there's a couple key things in there. And one of them is is that a steward doesn't own the resource, right? They're just managing it. And so with antibiotics, antibiotic antibiotics or antibiotic efficacy is really a societal resource. So society owns mm-hmm. the utility of that tool. And so as stewards who get to use antibiotics, we have to be careful to make sure that we are minimizing the impact of that reduced efficacy that, that naturally comes with that. Resistance is a natural phenomenon. We know that over time we use them, we will lose the efficacy because bacteria just mutate and generate so fast that they, they're outcompeting us. So, so what you're saying is a lot of our antimicrobial resistance is we're selecting for different populations of bacteria just by using them. Absolutely. So we want to use them, the right animal, the right disease at the right time. Yeah. And so when we, so on the, on the beef side, the animal agriculture side in general, um, you know, when we're using antibiotics and there's been some new regulations that have come into place over the last three to five years, uh, we want to make sure that you know, we talked about disease diagnosis earlier. So we know viruses don't respond to antibiotics. So we need to try to put safeguards in place that when we are using antibiotics, we know what disease we're using them for and make sure that that one is one that will respond to antibiotics and all that under the supervision of a veterinarian. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think all that stuff ties in together. And so, so why, if we are seeing that evolution, what are some of the reasons we're using antimicrobials or other technologies in beef production? So we use antibiotics because animals get bacterial infections, just like people. And so, um, and we know that antibiotics are effective for treating those. So when we have that, they, you know, they were touted when they were first discovered as a miracle drug, and they really are. And so we, we make sure that when animals get sick with bacterial infections, we have that available for us to treat those animals. And, and that, that kind of rolls into the welfare sustainability, right? Um, we want to make sure that we're treating our animals as, as well as we can. And that includes treating them when they get sick. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as we've enjoyed having you guys with us, come out to the state fair. There are plenty of activities at the birthing center and beyond. 
I know when you were at the birthing center, you got to you got to have a new calf. Yep. Yes, we did. And so that's that's everybody enjoys getting to see the calves being born. Or right now, there's some pigs being born. Right now, there's some pigs being born. Did you have a new calf when you were here? Uh, it was here when I got here. I yeah. did not actually birth the calf. Yeah. But you knew it came from that cow. I did. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so and you're coming on Saturday, so you'll be back on Saturday. And I'll I'll tell you guys what not to not to be offensive, but. While you were talking, I was smelling the fair food come in. Mm-hmm. So I am I've been debating a big decision of whether it's gonna be a ribeye sandwich or a hamburger. You know what I came to? It both. might be both. both. Yeah, it might yeah. be both. So, <laughs> I appreciate you joining us and appreciate you guys listening online. As always, if you have other questions you'd like us to talk about at the BCI Cattle Chat, you can send us an email to bci at ksu.edu. Uh-huh.